Hello, Paul. Hello, Kamin. Uh, how, how are things going in your life this week? Oh, Dr. Human Centipede. I, I'm really getting frustrated this week. I, I don't know if you know, but I, I work with a guy. He's he's like my sidekick. Ah, oh, yeah. Mike Garvey is his name. He's, he's kind of works with me on some of the podcasts. He's he's like my sidekick or my second in command. Like my, my, my minion, I think I've called him a few times. But yeah, he's really frustrating me at the time. He's just not following orders. He's not doing what he's meant to do. You know, he hasn't got a clue and he just keeps trying to, you know, oh, I know what I'm doing. It's very frustrating for me. Does not sound like a healthy relationship whatsoever, Paul. Uh, but I think it's important to be kind. You know, maybe open a dialogue with this, this, well, you've got him a sidekick, but is he not more like a partner in your podcasting endeavours? Uh, well, I don't know. It's, it's, I mean, it's so hard to deal with. Like, he, he really is a moron. Like, I, I mean, I've carried him for years. I've, I, he was, a, he was a nobody in podcasting when I first met him. And, you know, now he's sort of, he's ridden my coattails and people respect him and ask him on their shows. And it's just all because of what I've done for him. So I, I don't know how to deal with him. I mean, he's kind of pathetic and a bit of a loser. So, you know, should I cut him loose? What do you think I should do? Well, look, if, if it's not working in your mind at all, then maybe you should, you know, um, I think maybe plan ahead for a definite line in the sand sort of thing and just, you know, maybe say, look, let's let's work towards an end goal and that way you can, you know, go your separate ways once that end goal is met, yeah? You haven't worked with a simpleton like him before, have you? I, um... Look, let's set an end goal for these sessions, um, and then maybe we can, you know, uh, review once we meet that date. Yeah, let's let's lock in a definite end date. Paul, what do you think about that? Well, obviously, we've got to keep this between us. You know, I don't want Mike to get word of any of this because I think it would hurt his delicate little feelings. So, um, can I trust you on that? That none of this gets back to Mike. Confidentiality is is between you and I, my friend. It goes no further. Okay, thanks for that, Doctor. I'll see you later. My God, is OCD, the DC Events podcast where we're looking at every single DC event from Crisis on Infinite Earths in 1985 all the way up to, I'm not sure when we're going to stop, but uh, today we have reached 2016 and it's an event, well, technically it's an event, it's called The Robin War and it had a bookend structure, so there's an opening chapter and a closing chapter called Robin War 1 and 2 and there's a bunch of issues in between, so what do we got in between? Let's have a look. It's uh, 
The Grayson, 15. Uh, Detective Comics, 47. Uh, volume 2 of Detective Comics, of course. We Are Robin, 7. Uh, Red Hood slash Arsenal, number 7. Robin, Son of Batman, number 7. Gotham Academy, 13. And Teen Titans, volume 5, 15. So, nine comics in all. And I am joined today by uh, two well-known podcasters beloved in our community. I've got Tom Panarese from Pop Culture Affidavit and uh, Required Reading with Tom and Stella. And I also have uh, Rob Myers back again from Everybody Loves the Drake. And are you still doing the Young Justice one? Yes, still am, yes. Excellent. So everyone loves Young Justice, I believe that's called. Yeah, so welcome, gentlemen. Hey, how are you? I'm <laughs> great. So, this event, yeah, uh, it, it was written mostly by Tom King with Tim Seeley, Ray Fawkes, Scott Lobdell, Will Pfeiffer and Lee Bermehu and Patrick Gleason on the writing. And in the art, we've got mostly Carrie Randolph, Elaine Morissette, Jorge Corona, Andres Guiando, uh, Walton Wong, Mikel Janin, Steve Pugh, Carmen D. Domenico, uh, Scott McDaniel, Miquel Mendonica, Adam Archer and Javier Fernandez and Alvaro Martinez and Raul Fernandez and Andy Owens. And it was lettered by Carlos Mangal and Tom Napolitano. And the colours were done by Emilio Lopez, Chris Santamaya, Gabriel Elteb, Sandra Molina and Matt Lopez. And the whole thing was edited by Mark Doyle, who is no longer with DC, sadly, at the moment. Anyway... Extra points for getting all the names right. Yeah, definitely. I don't think I did. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, so this this was sort of in the run of... Um, I, I think the book that led into it the most was We Are Robin, where a whole bunch of uh, young people decided that they were Robin and took to the streets and did Robin-like things, um, fighting crime in various ways. And, um, yeah, this is a story about things getting out of hand. So, Rob, what would you say this is... What's the plot of this one, you reckon? Well, I'm going to cheat here. I was trying to figure out what I was going to say for the plot, and the back of the hardcover trade has, trade has a really nice brief synopsis, so I'm just going to cheat and, and read that. It says, In Gotham City, turned upside down, Robin became more than a single hero. Robin is a movement, with Bruce Wayne sidelined and Batman co-opted by the police, a legion of teens putting on the yellow R, following in the footstep of their crime-fighting icon. But all things take a tragic accident for everything to go wrong. And when it does, the crackdown on the Robins is swift and merciless. Now all the original boy wonders, Dick, Grayson, Jason Todd, Tim Drake, and Damian Wayne are back in Gotham, determined to save the kids who have taken up their legacy. But this Robin war is not as spontaneous as it seems. From the shadowy lair, Gotham's oldest and most powerful secret society is manipulating all sides of the conflict. Not even those who were trained for years by the world's greatest detective could guess their true purpose behind the Court of Owls plan. So mm. that is the synopsis at foot. And I can end with the dun dun dun. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So this, I mean, it came out, it's after New 52 technically, but it's um, it's really hit with the DCU movement where they launched a whole b- new bunch mm-hmm. of books. Um, and it was trying to refresh the line. They're doing different things. And uh, I, I'm going to confess, I put this on the list before I read it, and I'm not sure I would have put it on the res- list after reading it because it, it isn't that big an event. <laughs> but technically, it does have um, a, a standalone series that it ties into. So it's got the Robin Moore series, which when I started the show, I thought, that's my criteria. And then pretty soon I went, no, it can't be my criteria because then we're never going to do the death of Superman and Nightfall, etc. So um, we changed our criteria pretty swiftly but this was still on the list and i mean i'm sort of glad it's there because it does represent the dcu era which is um sort of underrepresented otherwise so yeah well 
Tom, what do you think were the big, biggest deals about it? What did you like about it? Um, I, I'm an interesting person to, to, um, to have here because I'm somebody who came into this almost completely cold, um, with the exception of the zero year storyline, which I found, which I read out of just curiosity. Um, I hadn't been reading Batman for years at that point um and and really haven't i I think i stopped somewhere around like war games in the early 2000s and have dipped in and out like i've read under the red hood and a couple of other books but like i'm completely off when it comes to you know um current continuity so i literally was the person who would have been you know i downloaded the um the trade but if i was in my lcs and i saw this trade on the thing i was like oh this looks interesting picked it off the shelf and so i'm coming into it you know as that person first time like i can even be a first time reader even though i'm very familiar with the the characters and even damien to a to a little bit um i you know i enjoyed it um it's i think it leans a little too heavy on you knowing who the court of owls is and um who like what they're interested dick grayson is uh which i did know because i had read nightwing's new 52 series for at least the first year or so um but like as far as like kind of like a blow me out of the water like event type of thing i was not i was i kind of i kind of shrugged that i mean maybe somebody who was a little more invested in the in in the new 52 and then into the dcu pre-rebirth continuity of batman would have been like would have thought a little more highly of it. I just thought it was like a really enjoyable story that crossed over into different um, books. I don't know if a couple of the chapters that they included, which were the sort of, um, they're almost like spinoff chapters as opposed to, you know, it was like a tale of the Robin war. I think they were called, I don't know how necessary those were. Um, especially because I was like, well, where are we now? You know, I thought they kind of disrupted the story, but for the most part, I, I really did enjoy it. So, um, and, and there's some, there's some like little bits and cool stuff in there. I can, we can talk about as we get into the discussion a little bit. Hmm. And what did you think, uh, Rob? I mean, you're here on a different basis cause you're, you're an expert in Robin at this stage. You're all over Robin. Aren't you? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm still, uh, in all of uh, the Taking Flight uh, podcast <laughs> that, that, Tom, that Tom did, so um, so I got to watch what I say here. Uh, oh, no, it, in all seriousness, like I said, like the last time I was on, that I kind of like Tom, I I dipped out of comics for a little while. I got to that point where I was playing in the bars and clubs behind a drum kit, so money was going into music and not comics. So it wasn't till like the Arkham games where there was a tie-in comic where, oh, I got a PS3 and I started doing that. And then I started hearing things about this Flashpoint. So I always kind of said, like or love the New 52. For me, it was my second golden age of comics where Mm -hmm. for the first time I was like, hey, I've now have my own money. I'm married and I, I can start buying comics you know as an adult and really dip headlong into this so from the new 52 i was i was full steam ahead but i think for a lot of people that once the new 52 started and i started looking back over my shoulder at the previous continuity i was going oh yeah i do miss a lot of that stuff so i think like you said with the dcyou movement there was this change that was starting to happen where okay things are starting to shift a little bit more so being that this came out for the 75th anniversary for robin you had two robin led stories they had a sequel to batman eternal which was batman and robin eternal 
and then this kind of coexisting almost at the same time. Um, I, I enjoyed this story. Um, much like Tom said, there was uh, some really cool moments and something that was different than pre-continuity is that Dick and or excuse me, Dick, Tim and Jason's relationship was completely different. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, an issue uh, from before where, you know, Jason, you know, almost beats the crap out of Tim and Titans uh, towers. And he's wearing like the Earth Earth two outfit with the yellow leggings and all that stuff. Um, this is in the era of Tim saying that, you know, he was this, it bothers me to say this, that he was never Robin. He went straight to red Robin out of respect to Jason. And it like, yeah, I, I feel, I feel your pain. So yeah, I'm glad Tynan came along and, and retconned that, but there, as much as I like hated that aspect of it, their friendship working together, they had a brotherly vibe that, uh, is different than Tim and Dick's relationship and Jason and Tim's is a little bit different. And then Damien's a whole other wild card. So out of, th- out of things that I liked, this was something new that didn't exist before. And I kind of liked that Tim and Jason have a kind of respect for one another rather than Jason being like, you're, you know, Bruce and I were quote unquote married. And then two seconds later he ditches me and, and finds a new girlfriend, you know, that, that part of it. So I liked (laughs) the crude analogy that that is. So I liked that story, um, that story beat and their quote unquote fight was a a ruse. You know, we can get into in the discussion part. So that that was one of the more enjoyable aspects of it. Yeah. I mean, on my reading through this, I kept making a list mentally in my head of the things that you need, probably need to know. And one of the things is that this is a very weird, phase of continuity because this is where Batman has amnesia and so he doesn't remember being Batman and uh, we have Commissioner Gordon is the new Batman um, but he's sort of um, in this continuity he's a lot younger than he used to be and he's um, running around in a mecha suit and he doesn't have a moustache that looks like a bunny uh, the bunny mecha suit he's Batman so it's very very weird from that point of view like you know if you look at DC history, you've got, you know, all the way up to Flashpoint, and then you've got sort of rebirth onwards, and it, it all feels like one, you know, seamless continuity, and this section is a real blip from New 52 to DCU, where it, it just doesn't, you know, it goes down some rabbit holes that it never really comes out of properly, and then they just start ignoring it, so, yeah, and um, it's very odd seeing <laughs> Commissioner Gordon being Batman in this you know, and he's sort of, he's a bit like Robocop, he's working for the police there in that sort of sense, and he's not, hasn't really got his own autonomy, but he's, you know, doing things on the sly to do the right thing, rather than doing them officially, so, yeah, it's strange, um, but I mean, I I read all the We Are Robin in, in the lead up to it, so just so I had that background, and I was familiar with um, Gotham Academy, which is a very, you know, pretty fun book, so, um, it, yeah, but... Yeah, the Court of Owls. I feel like it's one of those things where you you introduce a really badass bunch of villains, and then every time you bring them back, you diminish them a bit more. It's like you know the Borg in Star Trek. Yeah. You know, the more you see the Borg, yeah. the less scary they are. Um, it's the same with the Court of Owls. It's the same with Doomsday. You know, uh, everything like that is just diminished by more exposure. Um, so by this yeah. stage, you know, there's literally you know untrained kids beating up. Um, owls in the streets so, you know, the talons and well, it, yeah 
And it's also that whole we have to tie everything back to the Court of Owls, like because yeah. that that started to happen with. If I remember Star Trek correctly, the Borg is a really good example because there was too much stuff that was tied back to the Borg that was like, you don't need them here. And I think that that's where I was like, you know, that's why I was kind of wondering, like, OK, like, what is it with these guys? Unless and I ignored it, though, because I didn't know if it was part of a larger story arc that was going on that I wasn't part of, you know, so to speak. No, this kind of came out of like the Court of the Owls had kind of died off like continuity wise after you have that court of owls event like there was a talon book for a little bit Mm -hmm. but this was kind of a surprise in a way um that oh the the court of owls is behind it so that is a little i don't know if we're ready for that yet but that was a little bit of a knock that i had i think there was a really good story in here but once you started like you guys said bringing the court of the owls back into it it like you said it, it diminishes them a little bit and i think you could have taken a little different turn and that's what, you know, Batman and Robin eternal did. They did something completely different in, in that book than trying to rely on, ah, the court of the owls are behind everything in Gotham city always. Yeah. Cause you could have, cause I don't know the way I look at it. Like, um, as, as fart scenes and, and all these things go, it, things came out like really, really good, but you could have swapped out, I don't know, the mob, um, you know, or just a number of other, you know, um, I didn't know if it was like it had to be uniquely them. But uh, as far as uh, as far as an enemy is concerned, I think that really ties. Sorry, back to the the end of it mm-hmm. where that is. I mean, the other the story beat is you've got Dick Grayson being Agent Grayson at this time. He's no longer Nightwing because yeah. of forever evil and all of that stuff. So the court of the owls is going to be his way out to, we can give you back your identity and you can be Nightwing again, eventually. So that was one of those plot contrivances mm-hmm. that they, that's how you're going to get Nightwing back. So we need okay. the court of the owls for that reason. Yeah. I mean, I was, I was as I was reading this, I was, I was getting the horrible feeling this wasn't going to end. Um, you know, as I was nearing the last few pages, I go, <laughs> oh, oh no, you know, Damian Wayne is now um, is now working with the Owls, but he's going to pull out of that. But you know, I don't think this story is going to end here, and sure it doesn't. It, we've got you know, Dick agreeing to work with the Owls at the end, and he's going, oh, I know, I'm not going to read the end of that story then because it's not included. <laughs> so yeah, yeah, does anyone know how that? Uh, turned out did it all you know unfold uh, seamlessly or was it good anyone <laughs> i uh, i have all of the grace and issues and that's on a perpetual like stack to read um <laughs> i just I, I never got got i never got that far to figure out how does dick get out of it other than at one point it was like hey we're going to use spiral to mind wipe everybody in the world and now your identity's back in your nightwing again and we got you out of the core of the owls contract that's that's about all i have <laughs> yeah I, I i have like or i had at one point one or two issues of Grayson, like in the early part of the run and um it was i enjoyed them they were it was pretty good some pretty good spy stuff uh with spiral and helena bertinelli and and that sort of stuff but yeah i don't remember how this how this played out i was i was to check that of what dc was doing at this point except for maybe batgirl mm. Mm. yeah 
But it's, it, it is a real shock to the system if you jump into this cold and you haven't immersed yourself in the continuity around it. It really is like a shock. A shock as you know, this is this is so different to everything. Whereas if you'd been reading, you know, all through Scott Snyder's Batman run and you know all the uh, well, I bailed out on uh, Batman Eternal just because it was like I don't want to buy that many comics. And um, yeah, Batman <laughs> and Robin Eternal, forget it. So um, if they overload a series of uh, things you need to buy, then it, you ju- jump off more more often than not, unless you have endless resources yeah. and time. Um, yeah, but that. I was really coming back to this. It's so strange. The continuity seems so different to what I'm used to, as far as you know. Everything is just a bit odd and weird. It's like a, you know, it really is an alternate universe version of Gotham City, and you know, all the characters. Yeah. Yeah. And you got some, you know, standards, but you, you just never really have your feet as far as you know. Did this story happen? Did that story happen? And yeah. Mm. And the fact that Batman had so many Robins in such a short period of time was one of the sticking points of the New 52 for everyone. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you can't be competent and have five Robins in, you know, four years. They're like, they're like <laughs> interns. Yeah. yeah. Is, is Stephanie Brown part of this continuity? I couldn't remember whether or not they actually had her as part of the uh, New 52 slash DC, like pre-post Flashpoint, pre-rebirth. Yeah, she had a prominent role in Batman Eternal, I believe. Yeah. Okay. So technically midway through this book, because Batman and Robin Eternal was ramping up to its end as this was launching off. Mm-hmm. So about midway through this book, Stephanie Brown is brought back into continuity. But, you know, this story was already in its works. So by the time you finish this book, Stephanie Brown is back. Okay, because I was wondering where she was if she, and then I was like, well, maybe she wasn't in, because I knew that she was a number one of a number of characters who were just sidelined once the new Fifty Two launched. Yeah. So, all right. Well, th- th- thank you for explaining that to me because I had where's Steph on written on my notes here. <laughs> well, at, at the same time they bring back Steph, Batman and Robin Eternal reintroduces uh, Cassandra Kane back into mm. the fold, so you get Cassandra and Stephanie back actually. Uh, within four issues of each other. Oh, nice. Mm. Well, Donovan was happy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> now, Tom, you're a big Teen Titans guy, right? Yes. Yes. Were you into this version of the Teen Titans that appear in... <laughs> no. <laughs> um, I, this is, <laughs> I know I'm laughing here. Um, so I, I bought... Um, so I own, I own in either trade or single issue everything from all the way in the beginning in the 60s that's all in trade, but from from the beginning of Wolfman Press all the way up to the end of the um, original continuity. So issue number one hundred of the I call it the Jeff Johns series, you know that series. Um, I have all of it. Once I saw the solicits for Teen Titans number one of the New Fifty Two, and I saw the cover, and I was like, "What is this?" And I saw, I honestly, I saw the name Scott Lobdell. Yeah. I was like, I. I I was on my, I decided I was like, you know what? Teen Titans 100, it'll be my last issue. Um, I got when rebirth happened, I read Titans rebirth and I read like the first story arc or so of the Titans series. The one that was kind of the, um, you know, bringing the, bring getting the band back together. I enjoyed it, but it was like, it was like getting coffee with an old girlfriend, like, you know, that that you that you don't have any animosity toward anymore. So, like, the two of you have a nice conversation, and but you leave and you're like, 
you know, that was fine, but we're never going to give it back together again. You know, that's, you know, that's in my past. So you start remembering why you're not with her. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. You know, I remember why we broke up, but it was at least, at least I'm not, you know, at least I don't hate her anymore. So, um, so you're kind of over her, but yeah, so I never, I actually never read any of this, um, this Teen Titans thing. I, I am curious. I was always curious as to how they would do like a late teen, young 20 something Tim Drake. Cause like Tim Drake to me, when, when I was reading Robin back in the nineties was like what, 15, 16 or so, yeah. you know, and he was kind of perpetually 16 or so. Um, but then they introduced Damien eventually who, I've kind of warmed to because I like the brattiness of him in this book. I was like, you know, they all have this relationship with each other and Damien's such a little, he's a little punk, but in, in some way, like they make him likable in the storyline. Mm-hmm. But I was always kind of curious as to how Tim would, what Tim would be like if he was like, you know, new teen Titans age Dick, you know, that sort of yeah. thing. But I, I was never really, but the, the series itself, the Liddell series never really interested me. I unfortunately read all 33 issues. Yeah. <laughs> and I will no longer say that name anymore. Okay. It's, my, it's my Voldemort. <laughs> well, he, I, I was reading X-Men in the early 90s. And by the time I got through like fatal attractions and blood ties, I was like, why am I spending so much money on this? <laughs> and he was one of the reasons. Like Fabian Nishiesa, I was like, ah, you're a dude. I didn't find those issues too bad, but I was just not a not a fan. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, it's interesting to see this series because I mean, one of the terms that we look at is what came from it. So, what endured and what's lasted. And um, Duke Thomas is probably uh, he was introduced in uh, Batman Year Zero. Um, he's looking for how his parents died. Um, young black man, and he ends up becoming the Signal. And he got a three-issue miniseries, and uh, most recently, I think he's been part of Batman and the Outsiders, the the Brian Hill run. So, is there anything else that came out of this that you guys can recall or are aware of? I think everything's been mind wiped. Like Rebirth <laughs> did a yeah, <laughs> they, they men and blacked it and pushed the thing, and you'd have your glasses on, and uh, certain aspects kind of sort of stayed, but Rebirth change like the status quo they give tim drake back his origin they do mention like stephanie and tim are fighting at one point and stephanie says remember when you wore that showgirls glider cape and he was like i thought we weren't going to talk about that anymore (laughs) so that's there but they gave dick or dick excuse me they gave tim back his origins meeting dick at the circus and was there for flying grayson's you know at, at this point Tim's parents are in witness protection program because he tried to steal money from the penguin and Bruce had to bring him in. So that was just a a train wreck. So Mm -hmm. uh, anything from this really never, never carried on other than Duke Thomas and like, Oh yeah. At one point, you know, from time to time, Dick will make mention that he used to be part of spiral, Mm -hmm. but this has kind of been wiped from existence other than that. Okay. I like the Duke Thomas character actually. With that his story arc within here was one of my one of the bits that I thought was was really really well done. And he was popular enough to get an action figure, which I'm currently looking at on my oh, shelf. Oh, cool! Wow, was he as the signal or yeah, as the We Are Robin? Uh, okay. Oh, very cool. Nice. Yeah, I mean, it, it it seems to have that same problem that most of the New Fifty Two has is 
this stuff, everyone likes it, so we're all going to make it included, but we're not going to make it fit in any way. So you end up with this smorgasbord mess of characters that no one can really... You know, there's not enough stories to juggle all their existence in unless you bring back the old continuity in it, you know. And everyone missed the old continuity. I mean, the, I, I don't mind replacing a character's history if you do it with a better story, but no one got a better story from this. Um, you know, and I think we're still feeling... Right. I mean, this may be controversial, but I mean, I still, you know, keenly feel the loss of Oracle to the DC Universe. And, you know, I don't think oh, yeah. having Barbara yeah. Gordon as Batgirl is any substitute for Oracle. And it, I think it diminishes her history and her overcoming adversity by making her, you know, just Batgirl again. Because she can't, you know, mature or grow now. Hmm. Anyway. Yeah, no, I agree with you. I agree with you. I mean, I liked the Burnside run that Fletcher and, and all of them did. But um, but I, for my money, yeah, Oracle was the better the better character. Yeah. So what is there a single moment in this series that you thought, oh, that's cool. Well, I'm really glad I read that bit. I, I'll still go back to Jason and Tim's fight in the birdcage, and I'm not talking about the Nathan Lane, Robin Williams movie. <laughs> uh, I, every time I saw him talk about the birdcage, that's just I, I just had that scene of you know them there <laughs> in, in the movie, but their their fighting style going back and forth, where they're they're trading punches and they're it's that unspoken you know, language that Bruce has taught them all, all to do. And then uh, as they're doing that, the other Robins are able to kind of break out of their cell. And uh, that's when Jason and Tim kind of turn the, uh, the tides and start breaking everybody out of it. I just, I like that sequence. The art was a little bit to be desired in that section, but what they were, were doing there was still one of my, my favorite parts out of it. Yeah. yeah, I'll echo that. Everything you just said. Um, I also like the fact that this is this is one of my favorite beats for Damien is that he is kind of almost narrating for us in some regard, like in mm. in moments there because he figures out at one point what they're doing, and it's. I thought it was. I thought that was a really well written scene because, and then it leads to a really cool breakout. I mean that whole that whole sequence that goes on for about half that issue or so is is really really well done. And that section was written by um, Libra Mayo actually. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, I. Also liked, and it's kind of a funny bit, but the fat kid on the couch with the, <laughs> it's just, it's just this random moment. I guess he kind of does show up toward the end, but it was just like, you know, how his parent, him and his parents, and he's just kind of sitting there and he's like, he's so relaxed. He's like, I guess we're Robin. Like it's, I just thought that was pretty funny. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I just want to explain the birdcage. It's literally jail cells that hang from, you know, suspension cables in this great big, you know, mm-hmm. warehouse. It's it's really odd. And, you know, everyone's in these cells with no toilets and they're all in their Robin costumes and they're <laughs> stuck there. It's a very classic Batman villain prison trap. Yes. Like, we've yeah. seen this. We've seen this jail set up for, like, a, a super villain jail set up before. So that, I think that's why I could appreciate it because I, I, this is something that I would have seen, like, two-face or the penguin or somebody try to put batman or or robin the boy hostage in you know <laughs> so it's a very classic comic book like <laughs> you could almost see the penguin twirling like ah i've got the robin in my bird cage yeah exactly <laughs> you know but it just seemed odd you know the fact that you know jim gordon as batman is bringing all these prisoners to this place and he's you know oh i've never seen this before that's mm, interesting <laughs> <laughs> 
Have we gone insane? Are we ba- James Bond villains now? Yeah, right. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. All right. Well, I think we might play a promo and then we'll come back and we'll start the scoring. A historic moment tonight. The Berlin Wall can no longer contain the East German people. It is 1989. After 28 years of dividing a city and symbolizing the divide of the Cold War, the Berlin Wall opens up. And from there, everything changes. Fallen Walls, Open Curtains is a podcast miniseries from Pop Culture Affidavit and hosted by me, Tom Paneris. From November 2019 until December 2021, I am going to take a look at the events that took place 30 years ago, beginning with the fall of the Berlin Wall and ending with the dissolution of the Soviet Union and the end of the Cold War. Along the way, I will be flashing back to the landmark and not-so-landmark pieces of popular culture that reflected and defined the Cold War. The first episode will drop on November 9th, 2019, and future episodes will be released quarterly at popcultureaffidavit.com and twotruefreaks.com. Okay, now it's the part of the show where we uh, we give this one a score and see where it fits in amongst all the other events we've covered. So the way the scoring works, there's four categories. We do the eventiness, how eventful is this event. Uh, we do what we think of the writing. We do what we think of the art and the covers. And then we do the impact and legacy. So, and I'm going to need a pen for this, so here we go. Um, so, gentlemen, so with the eventiness of this, Tom, where did, would you rate it out of ten for eventiness? Um, I, and, and I'm coming at this as somebody who wasn't really invested in the continuity at the point. Um, I am going to say a four out of 10 because I can see how it moves along specific story arcs for specific characters in the Batman titles. But as far as an overall DC universe event, you know, on the order of forever evil or flashpoint or, um, invasion or, or something like that. I don't think it ranks very high. Yeah. So a four. Okay. And Rob, I'm going to go a step higher and just say five. Um, just, it was one of those things like I, I keep saying about Batman eternal to me, that was the 75th anniversary book for Robin mm-hmm. or Batman Robert. Yeah. Uh, but this one was like, Hey, let's, let's do another one. And it, it's going to be kind of its own thing. So because it was for the 75th, I was like, well, gosh, I got to get it. Cause I'm a Robin guy. So <laughs> I, I'll go five. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm going to give it. Well, if this was just, you know, if we were judging it on how Robinful this was, this would be a 10 for Robinness. But it's eventiness, so um, you know, on that scale, <laughs> right, right. I'm going to give it four. And you know, I feel bad because I put this on the list, so it has to get judged the same way as everything do. But you know, not being super eventy doesn't mean it's bad. It just means it's not you know covering the scope of the DC universe. It's not exactly you know uh, uh, JLA versus Avengers or anything like that. But you know, it's it's right. um, a good you know. This is basically everything you could ever want about Robins at the time of the New Fifty Two. In that you know, it's it's just 
massive amount of robbing. Um, so four for me. All right, so Rob, let's go to the writing. What do you want to say about the writing? I thought this, I'm going to come at a seven on this because I did feel like, looking back at it now that it's five years old, like Tom said, you can kind of come into this as new and go, all right, I have some questions to like wonder, like why is Dick Grayson not wearing a mask and why does he look like this, you know, in a blue jumpsuit type thing? But by the end of it, I, being five years removed from it and Regan again, I was like, I, I enjoyed this. There was a, a few little hiccups that didn't quite match, match up from back when I first read it, but I, Overall, I was pleased to have reread it again, so I'm going to go with a seven on this. And with some writers that I have never really read their work before, where it was a little unfamiliar with, and even Lobdell, you know, I'll, I'll throw him a bone and go, it, he wasn't as horrible in this just because I think he was more in the confines of trying to uh, uh, tell a singular story rather than him do his own thing. So I'm going to go seven. Mm. Now, for me with this, I. I'm in two minds. I can't decide if it's absolutely ridiculously atrocious or really, really good, some of the writing. Because, you know, <laughs> I imagine, like, I know, um, Rob, you did the, you know, the audio version of the Detective Comics arc by um, James Tinian. I reckon if you did an yeah. audio version of this, it could be hilarious. Because everyone are going, I'm Robin, I'm not Robin, <laughs> we are Robin, I'm Robin, You're, I'm not Robin. <laughs> Etc. And, you know, particularly the Tom yeah. King chapters, if you read them out loud, it's hilarious. There's so many people changing their minds about whether they're Robins or not, you know. So all the kids at the moment, at the start, are like, we are Robin, I'm Robin, I'm Robin, I'm also Robin. And then uh, you've got Damien go, you're not Robin, I'm Robin. And, you know, you're not, you're crap, you're not Robin, you can never be Robin. And, um, yeah, <laughs> like particularly the bit in, in the birdcage where... Damien is basically, you know, sprouting how cool the Robins are and how they've got all these capabilities and they can do things that other people can't do. And if you can't do these things that the Robins are doing, then you're not a Robin. <laughs> so, if I was going to do this as an audio drama, yeah. I'm going to have to lean Batman 66 <laughs> on this. Too. Well, is he subverting or having a little fun with the Sons of Batman part of the Dark Knight Returns? Because I get a little bit of that, like that, yeah. that, that repeated that repeated talking head on the expositional news network with the big Batman tat signal tattoo or, or face paint, like kind of like looking <laughs> like the ultimate warrior where mm -hmm. like the sons of Batman will blah, 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 where they used to be the mutants. And I'm like, maybe, maybe they're having a little fun with that. So I, 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 but I also did find that really, really funny. Yeah. So yeah. score wise, I'm going to give it a six because I can't decide if it's brilliant or stupid, but I think it's, it's riding that <laughs> line very tightly. So, um, yeah. And Tom, what do you think? Um, I have, I have the same score as Rob, a seven. Um, I thought that the, the ancillary, the tales from the war, Robin war, or whatever, the stuff that wasn't part of the, um, the spinoff part of it was interesting, but like, so not vital. It took me out of the story that it kind of, it lowered the, it lowered it for me. And I thought the climax, well, I thought the ending was rushed. I was like, we had this great, what felt like it could have been like a, like a climax or something of the breakout. And then we were building up towards something. And then it was this whole thing with Damien with the mask on and Dick accepting yeah. the offer. And I felt it, it, I felt that it needed more room. Um, like they had to wrap it up or something and, and they were pushing for another storyline. So that kind of diminished it. But when it was on, so to speak, it was on, it was, it was enjoyable. And I kept going, 
Um, and it really had me, um, it had me really engaged in a way that, you know, I felt like even though I was coming in completely cold, well, sort of cold, I knew how the characters were and I knew enough about what was going on with Dick Grayson and who Damien was and all that to understand it. But even if he came in cold, I think this is enough to get you engaged to, to read through it. And that is mostly in the main chapters. So that's why I'm giving it a seven. Right, let's move on to the art now. Now, I, I'm going to confess, I'm a total mark for Scott McDaniel's art. Like, uh, any time I see his art, I just, oh, it's so full of energy and vitality, and wow, <laughs> it's amazing. And, I, you know, I feel like he's, you know, the next best thing to Norm Brayfogel in art, as far as the Bat Universe is concerned. Um, so, mm-hmm. I really like his art. But, for the most part, I think the, the art is, on the whole, fine fine there's nothing amazing or spectacular there's nothing wow that's incredible you know there's they're not pushing any um you know award boundaries here it's it's just doing the job so i'm going to give it a six for the art um tom what do you think about the art um i i love mcdaniel as well um i loved his nightwing back in the day um it's just uh really have always really enjoyed him i went with a seven again um because the, the really, really good art, even the stuff that is just very DC house style of the time is really good. But then there are a couple of chapters where the arts a little suspect that Gotham Academy chapter. It was just not, I mean, it was just not my style uh, and I, I really didn't like it. And, and Rob, you had mentioned the, some of the artwork in the fight scene between um, Jason and Tim. And I have mm. to agree with you. I mean, some of it's really good and some of it is a little off. So, but the covers I thought were pretty consistent. I, I will give it that. And Rob, I'm going to echo Tom and give it a seven. Um, I'm a sucker for Lieber Mayho. Um, if you take off the dust jacket off the hardcover, he's got the uh, variant covers for issue one and issue two. If you put them together, it's the Robins, you know, charging at each other. Uh, Kenneth Rockefort, I got to meet him at a convention. So um, even though the Robin and Arsenal and the Teen Titans, he does the art for that. I've always just really liked his art. I think meeting him as a person really kind of won me over uh, as well as a really cool guy. But again, like Tom said, there's, there was nothing that I was just like, wow, this is amazing. It was, it was good. Um, there was some mm-hmm. iffy parts, but if you pull out the ancillary titles and just read the core part of it, the art is pretty, pretty consistent. So I'm going to go seven. Uh-huh. All right. That brings us to the final category, which is impact and legacy. Now, Tom, what do you think this one deserves? Uh, I'm going to, I'm going to go really low on this. I'm going to say about a three because I don't, I don't know if it really has much of an impact, especially since Rebirth came along and undid a lot of things. But even then it's not, yeah, it's just, it's kind of just another one along for me, another event or or another storyline along the line of another storyline and another storyline that gets packaged and traded. So um, which sounds really cynical toward you know the DCU at the at the past, present, and future. But yeah, so I'm going to say about a three. It it didn't. I don't see how if this has any long lasting um, resonance on on the whole. Yeah, <laughs> I'm going to give it a a two for similar reasons. I you know I don't think anyone's going to come back to this and go, oh, this is rich in potential, and we're going to tap tap it some more, or we're going to adapt it into a movie or TV show or anything like that. I, I just think it, it's it's just another part of the DCU at the time, uh, and I'm using YOU as you, um, and it, it really is on the tail end of the New Fifty Two, and I think it's you know it's a it's an awkward 
teenage phase of a DC universe at this point. <laughs> so, <laughs> yes. So I'm going with two. Now, Rob, last one. Uh, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go a four. Um, oh. I want to. I want to say higher, but again, like, like I said earlier, this undid a lot of stuff. To pick it up and say, well, are there any stories about Robin I can read? Like, you know, where everybody's together? I'd go, eh, check this out. You know, what do you need to read beforehand? Eh, not much. Just enjoy the read and move on, you know. Mm-hmm. So it's not going to – if you don't ever read this, you're not going to be totally lost. Like, I don't understand who Duke Thomas is. Read The Signal or read Metal and you'll figure out who Duke Thomas is. You don't need – you don't even need, even need to read We Are Robin because they explain that in those books. Okay, so with the scoring, um, I'm going to be the semi, or the semi, depending on which uh, continent you live on, um, and that means that my scores get halved, and that will give us a total of potentially 100, though I don't think this is going to reach 100 as the potential, so um, let's add that up. So Tom, 4, 7, 7, and 3, you gave it a total score of 21 out of a potential 40, and Rob, you gave it 5, 7, 7, 4, so that's 23 out of 40, and I gave it uh, 18, and we halve that down to 9. And so that gives us a grand total of, let's say, 53. 53 out of 100. Ooh. Ooh. Oh. Just great spy. But like I said, it's it, you know this is because it lacks in impact and legacy and eventiness. It's not because it's necessarily a garbage story that no one should ever read. So yeah, it's not millennium. <laughs> <laughs> Genesis is my go-to for that. (laughs) Oh, God, Genesis. (laughs) Yeah. So, uh, 53 on our list. Oh, I'd block that one out. I'm just going to look at the ladder on the website, waitingfordoom.com, where we keep all our scores of everything. So, let's go rank order. And 53 is, ooh, just below zero hour, but above War of the Gods. Mm. Mm-hmm. That's, yeah. that's 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 probably appropriate. Can... <laughs> no one's going to object. I mean, <laughs> we're not gonna I, get... I there's because I I I own both, and there are really good things in both of those other two, and there are parts of those other two that are complete and utter mess. So oh, yeah, mm. yeah. So without without, cause, but we'll be here for another hour if you want to hear my <laughs> thoughts on Zero Hour and War of the Gods. So we'll just we'll just leave it at that. I know. Yeah. Well, we've got episodes on both of them already, if you want to um, listen to those. You can can hear exactly what we said. Yeah, I mean, I will point out the fourth from the bottom is War Games, so, you know, and deservedly so. Okay, so uh, what do we do next? We talk about uh, the feedback that we've got. So I'll just uh, open up some feedback. And firstly, we heard from Martin Gray, and he's talking about the Convergence event, which was the last episode we have. And he said, Hey, old Doom boys, I love this event, though like yourselves, I feel the miniseries were a lot better than the main event. I wish some of the veterans creators were, gi- were given work on it, and that had been integrated into the mainline post-Burbank move. Uh, and then he went all bolds um, and went up sizes in fonts to really emphasize this. He said, You never mentioned that Convergence supposedly undid the original crisis at the end. A huge thing, subsequently ignored. <laughs> yes, we didn't mention that because it, it was hard to detect in that story because it didn't really make a lot of sense. Uh, he said the biggest yeah. legacy of the series, while not immediately affecting the in-comics DC universe, is the promotion of temporary editor Mari Javens to full-time DC staffer. 
her work on convergence and subsequently the main line put her in a position to become DCU editor-in-chief today and I foresee many great comics coming from that move. Yeah, she just got promoted again. I think she's one of the survivors of the latest round of cuts at DC and uh, she's um, up the top of the structure. I'm actually uh, intrigued here. I might, I might uh, once the solicits start to come in under the, for the books that she's going to be, you know, under her uh, editorial editorship, I'm going to be interested in seeing what there's what there is. Hmm. And then uh, Martin added finally the Robin War. Blimey, who even remembered that's existing? Uh, predicted final score <laughs> 26. Oh, <laughs> eventually <laughs> yours, Martin. Well, not quite, Martin. It's about twice that. But um, yes, I, I can see where you're coming from. Uh, we also got a comment from Tim Price on our website at waitingfordoom.com. And he said, um, it's a good thing for me that I stopped trying to read along with the show because this sounds like a massive project, all those Convergence books. But dang it, I'm intrigued, so it's going on the list for the future. Let me just check the calendar for when I can retire. Well, crap. I've read a couple of the Tie-In Micro series, <laughs> JLI and Batman and the Outsiders, and they were okay. But hearing that David Gallagher wrote the Green Lanterns called Tie-In, I gave that a try too. Now that was a joy. I knew about early Guy Gardner, but only had read the Crisis to JLI period. So David's story was a refreshing take on the guy I love to hate. And so much fun to have him on your show and sharing his experience with this events. Thanks for feeding my DCOCD. And we got some feedback from Canada from Keith Colbeck. And Keith said... Wonderful to have David's thoughts included about Convergence. Rare in comics talk to get someone who appears to have 0% cynicism. It is a very strange event because it both had almost no legacy of its own, but it was also a celebration of everything DC to that point. I compared it to Alan Moore's Whatever Happened to the Man of Tomorrow. It gave us the farewell to past DC continuity that was missing from the New 52. The Telos spin-off was short but fun and features Hal Jordan Parallax, who also made it off of the Convergence world. And it revealed the origin of Telos, who is really the Bronze Age DC character, Arak, who was captured and mind-wiped by Brainiac. Wow, I did not know that. Um, you did miss that the 22-issue Earth 2 Society series was also a spin-off of Convergence. After the destruction of Earth 2 in the previous series, they became settlers on Telos's planet at the end of Convergence. Great stuff, Keith. Thanks, Keith. Ah, that's some, that's some stuff I didn't quite know. And finally, we got a comment from Jack Bon, and he said, I'm generally clueless about DC as a universe, and I listen to you guys for suggestions on which events are safe to read. <laughs> I heard good things about Convergence before, though, so I've read it. Like Mike, only the miniseries. I liked it a bit better than you. I haven't read any Warlord comics, so I only know Deimos as a guy with some history in Skataris who saw a chance to make his big score. On the other side, I may not know where the third Superman in some panel came from, but that doesn't detract from the story, as far as I can tell. It was a good story. Maybe not It Needs Eight Issues good, but what are you going to do? News that the 888 tie-ins aren't necessary is welcome. I may look into them for good self-contained stories. So that's all our feedback for that. So if you want to send us some feedback, you can go to waitingfordoom.com and go on the website. And you'll, if you look up the post for this episode, you'll see some pictures. So we'll put in that um, double-page cover spread thing, um, and we'll put in some other choice pictures. And um, yeah, and we'll have the scores updated in a week or so, so you can see where this fits on the ladder. Um, you can look at things you haven't listened to maybe on the ladder and go, oh, I might listen to that, or why is that up the top? I'm going to listen to that one. Um, so that's what you can do. And um, we also have uh, DCOCD cast on Twitter, if you want to leave comments there. So, uh, Tom, where can people find you if they want to hear more of your podcasting? 
You can find me at uh, over at uh, Pop Culture Affidavit, which is um, a podcast and blog that I run uh, that is really everything, just it's random things in popular culture. Um, that includes movies, TV, music, comics, and a mini series that I'm running right now called Fallen Walls, Open Curtains, which is about the end of the Cold War and some of the pop culture of the Cold War. Um, and you can find that at popcultureaffidavit.com. Um, I also have required reading with Tom and Stella. Uh, Stella from Batgirl, the Oracle, and I take a look at one work of literature every month, and we, you know, review, analyze, critique, and all that. And we decide if it's required reading. So you can find that um, uh, at required reading with Tom and Stella dot com. Um, you can follow me on Twitter at popaff. That's p o p a f f. And uh, both my shows are part of the Two True Freaks Network, and you can find that at twotruefreaks.com. I'm not seeing the difference between this show and required reading, to be honest. I mean, do you guys rank, <laughs> rank all the books as well? No, um, we just decide what we we decide whether or not it's you know, it, it started from the fact that the two of us are teachers, and uh, and and originally the question was kind of like, would you teach this book? And, uh, and then it then it kind of morphed into well, is this required reading? So <laughs> we don't rank the books though. Uh, yeah, and thank you for coming on the show, Tom. It's, um, it really is a pleasure to have you. Oh here. no, thank you for having me. Yeah, thank you for having me. This is really fun. Yeah. And Rob, Rob, tell us about you again. Uh, you can find me at uh, Everyone Loves the Drake podcast, and because I'm such an origin originator with titles, I thought, you know what, let's do another Everyone Loves show. So Everyone Loves the Drake. And then Everyone Loves Young Justice. You can find uh, those shows at ELTD Podcast and ELYJ Podcast on Twitter. Uh, the Drake uh, Podcast is just going through the 90s Tim Drake chronologically. And currently we are up to Batman Legacy. Uh, at the time of this recording, getting ready to do uh, issue 700 of Detective Comics. Mm -hmm. And uh, mm -hmm. so that was originally going to be a three-issue story, but we talked so long about it, the 700th issue of Detective that it's now going to be its own individual episode. So podcasters and talking, a long episode. That never happens. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> and then on the Young Justice side, uh, now that the Brian Michael Bendis Young Justice officially released their final issue, we're wrapping that up. And then we'll be full steam back into 1998 continuity. And we're part of the BatmanUniverse.net podcast. And you can find us and many other shows there. And if you just want to talk to me, not about Robin and about anything else, drums, music, or comics, or whatever, you can find me at DrummerRob10 at, on Twitter. Mm -hmm. Cool. Okay, well, show-wise, um, you may want to listen to the last Waiting for Doom that Mike and I did because it will probably be the there'll be quite a gap before the next one, so we're you know we're taking a wait or a break or something. Anyway, so Waiting for Doom is on hold for a bit just because there's not a lot of Doom Patrol around right now, but we'll be back when Doom Patrol is back. So uh, yeah, and we may do a Gary show, which is just when Mike and I talk about whatever we feel like. Uh, but the next DC OCD event will be. The Rebirth special, so um, it's only one issue, but it sort of uh, has quite a big impact, so I think it's worth talking about. And that came out in 2017, and that will be the next time you hear us uh, covering on something on DCOCD. But thanks everyone, we'll talk to you all next time.
So you're on his side. <laughs> you fucker. <laughs> wow. Wow, and I thought I was having a shit day at work already. Thanks very much. Stabbing my nap.